This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. Were you always sort of interested in history? It, it's interesting, too, that I'm, I'm working on blackness in Argentina, and it's... Um, Blackness in Argentina, it's something that is not usually talked about or like there is this national narrative that there are no black Argentinians. This is Nick Redding and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're very excited to be joined by Marisol Fila, who is a PhD candidate in Spanish and Portuguese in Romance Languages and Literatures at the University of Michigan. And we're going to be talking about her role um, in sort of part two of this series on enslaved peoples of the historic slave trade, which is a digital preservation effort aimed at connecting the dots and knocking down the silos of slave history. Um, and so... Um, before we get started and kind of diving into your work and your role in all of this, we always love to learn more about the people who are behind these projects. And um, it's so interesting to hear about the diversity of their experiences. So um, Marisol, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of how you ended up working on this project and, and maybe more broadly, what led you to the kind of work and study that you're doing? Sure. Thank you, Nick. So, as you said, I'm a PhD candidate in uh, Spanish and Portuguese at the University of Michigan. I am originally from Argentina. I studied history in Argentina. And my research, my dissertation research, is on 21st century digital and print black press in the cities of Lisbon, Portugal, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Buenos Aires, Argentina. In my dissertation, I explore different articulations of blackness and how they are shaped by the medium, that is, if digital or print form. And this is in dialogue with the um, historical black press that was published in these three cities between the end of the 19th century and the first decades of the 20th century. So my my dissertation, my, my research uh, really is really under a very interdisciplinary perspective that combines, on the one side, close readings of primary and historical sources with methods from the digital humanities and ethnography. And through all of that, I, I seek to explore the diversity of contemporary and historical Black experiences in the interconnected Atlantic world. So my, my research also includes a public-facing component that is digital storytelling. And I think that it's because a little bit of all of this that I became very interested in the work that is being done at Matrix the Center for Digital Humanities and Social Sciences at Michigan State University. So let me ask you this, though. I mean, it's, it's such a fascinating topic that you're working on and really interesting work. Growing up where you grew up, maybe because it's it's always um, really interesting to hear from someone who grew up in a in a different place. I mean, I, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, um, and uh, <laughs> and I can't think of a place probably more different than Argentina, which is just so cool. What was it like growing up there? And and I I suppose the reason I'm asking that is, it did was history always a part of 
your experience? Is it something that you came to later in life? Or were you always sort of interested in history? And, and did growing up there, is that what, was that a part of it? I'm curious. Yeah, this is a very interesting question because um, it, it's interesting too that I'm, I'm working on blackness in Argentina and it's um, blackness in Argentina. It's something that is not usually talked about or like there is this national narrative that there are no black Argentinians and that all the Argentinians are uh, the descendants of the Southern European migrants that arrived by the end of the 19th century uh, to the port of Buenos Aires. So I became really interested in in history and um, and particularly in the history of Afro-Argentinians when I was in, I, I remember that I was in elementary school and we all had to build our family trees. Um, and I remember that all of us uh, tell more or less the same stories that I was the granddaughter of an Italian immigrant and my my friend was the great grandson of a Spanish immigrant. So we all told this very, very similar stories and none of us came with uh, an alternative story of an ancestor that wouldn't be either uh, from Spain or Italy. So I kept going and, and, and then I started thinking uh, that in my family there were some like some some people that didn't look like Spanish or Italian. So I asked my 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 mother, but she did not say much about that part of the family. It was on, on the side of my grandfather and several years ago when I was already in college and I was very interested in the apparent disappearance of the Afro-Argentinians that my mom mentioned uh, some photographs of my great-great-grandmother who was an Afro-Uruguayan immigrant. She was called Melitona Delgado. So she showed me some, some pictures and I asked her, why is that you never told me about that? And, and she said, because you were not interested in in this like part of the of the story uh, of the family. So I became very interested in in researching more, and that's how uh, that's why I applied to to a program here to do my PhD in in black literatures and to be able to study not only like different articulations of black identity in in Argentina, but also in maybe a broader context. Um, that's why I also study Brazil and and Lisbon. It, it's it's fascinating. It's it seems like it's a lot of a common thread with people that we talk to is that there's oftentimes sort of this this familial spark and sort of this this story there and and um, it's 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 interesting to hear about that from. Um, you know, a different perspective, not from somebody who grew up here in the United States, but but there's that there's sort of a, a universal spark when it comes to I think our our family and where we came from, and and it and it's I think it's a good segue to talking about the work that you're doing on this enslaved.org because in some ways this is trying to break down those barriers to um, African Americans in particular 
who may not have a connection with their own past and they don't know where they came from and where their people um, were. And, and in some ways, in different, but in some ways there's some some comparisons to even your own personal story and sort of knocking down those barriers. So, you know, in in we we this is one of our our first two part episodes but in the in the first part we spoke with Dr. Daryl Williams um about this but i think listeners would like to hear and i i personally like to hear what's your explanation of this this project what is it and and i suppose why does it matter mhm thank you yes um so as you said you already talked to to Daryl Williams and i am specifically working for his data set and the free Africans of Brazil. And I, well, the way I can describe enslaved.org is as an open source uh, digital database that allows you to discover and explore um, first more than a half, more than half a million of uh, of people from interconnected data sets. And I think that this is where the the originality and the relevance comes, that it's really how they have been able to put together and to connect these different projects, these different data sets that until now have not been connected. Um, and is what makes it very important and relevant because you are able to fill in the gaps in a sense, right? And to reconstruct the lives and life experiences of people like many Africans. And, and we know that um, lives of African uh, were disrupted um, for, the, for the Atlantic slave trade and that their experiences have been written out from, from the history. So it's very relevant, this, this project in a sense, in this sense. And so you can visualize connections between the data sets. You can search for events. You can search for places and people that were involved in the, in the Atlantic slave trade. And another component that I think that it's great from Slave.org is the Journal of Slavery and Data Preservation, which is uh, a digital academic journal that publishes this original and peer review data sets uh, about the lives of, of enslaved Africans and their descendants. And they also include this peer review data articles, which to me are great because not only they show you the way the researchers have collected the material, they have put together um, these different sources and they, they made a sense of it, um, but it also allows you to start reflecting on how and how to start thinking about best practices for collecting and 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 creating a, a data set, right? Which because is there's something. there's mm -hmm. so much and there's just so much data out there. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. And and how you kind of connect it and let people use it. Um, and I mean, obviously what, what's being done here is amazing. And I can't even imagine where we will be in 15 or 20 years, um, with this kind of data. Now, the one thing I will say with data though, is that sometimes it's like really cold. Um, and it's, it's easy to kind of just kind of get, 
lose the humanity of the subjects in all of this. And I think that that's, you know, we talked a little bit about the data piece with Dr. Williams, but where, what's, what's your, what's your piece in this in trying to kind of like knock down that coldness of the data? How, how are you trying to pull out the humanity of the African American people who are caught up in the Atlantic slave trade? What's, what's your piece of this? I think that that'd be kind of a, an interesting thing to kind of move into here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And and you are totally right. Not only it's, it seems cold, but many times not connected. So you cannot really like tell a story many times from if you're just looking at the data. So I think that one of the goals of Enslave.org is really to focus on the people and to make visible their stories and to help to create new connections uh, among this previously unconnected sets of historical data. And that is also the goal that I pursue with the work that I am currently doing. And I'm doing that through different visualizations and digital storytelling on the free Africans of Brazil data sets. For instance, um, throughout the past this past few months, I have been working on several timelines and story maps that can provide a new perspective uh, to the exploration of this historical data. For instance, I have been putting together, there's one data set from the Free Africans of Brazil that is about um, free, it's called Free African uh, of Brazil Disappearances. And it's a data set that contains 660 entries of data that was extracted from Rio de Janeiro newspaper advertisements announcing the flight, disappearance, or kidnapping of a free African between 1835 and 1863. So I'm working with the data set in particular, and I have been creating timelines that allow you to interact and visualize um, these different Africans who run away. And you can filter them by age, you can filter them by cohort, you can filter them by gender. So you can have a sense of how throughout these 30 years, these different Africans were like uh, running away from their uh, like employers houses and the, and you can see the the agency of the subjects and you can also reconstruct in a way the the movement across the city and and that's why i am also adding some maps and some story maps into this uh visualizations so as to show how these different africans were moving through all the city that how well they knew them uh, in a sense, even though they may have arrived to uh, at Rio de Janeiro five years before they they actually ran away, so they really had a sense of the, of the city, and they they knew they were committed to doing something more, and that's why what I'm I am trying to show. And we have been very lucky of um, of uh, being able to identify several historical locations in modern day coordinates. So we are also able to map this um, 
these movements in modern day maps. So the, the user will be able to see in the contemporary landscape how these Africans were moving, right? And what spaces they were occupying. So we've got story maps and coordinates and kind of connecting place to people and kind of pulling out these stories, which is really amazing. Um, it also seems like, and I guess this is sort of foreshadowing because I know the answer here, but it also seems like this could lend itself to a podcast um, and sort of telling stories. So do you want to give us a little tease on the podcast and when are people going to be able to download it? What kind of stories are you going to be telling? What can people look forward to? What's it going to be called? Give us all that background on it. Absolutely. Yes. And this is a new project that we are now starting with the Enslave.org team and Daryl Williams in particular. I have just finished a National Humanities Center Virtual Institute for grad students on creating podcasts for the public. So I am going to apply all of these learnings and, and knowledge to the development of a series of episodes for Enslave.org and the Free Africans of Brazil in particular. And the goal will be to featuring um, some stories, some stories of these um, Africans. And I, am, I started thinking about creating a series of podcasts because I am always concerned about this um, discussion that is actually one of the, the main questions of my own research, the, the relation between, in a way, the content and the form, I mean, the medium and what is in there. So I have been working on visualizations and maps and this different story maps and also some written text of the stories of these this Africans. Um, so what happens if you want to tell their stories through a different medium. Like what happens if you want to um, create a different story and how can you do it and what a, a podcast can, can bring to you, right? And what is, the, what is the audience going to be like, what they will, they will be expecting. In this way, I, we are planning to include multiple voices. For instance, there have been several Brazilian students from the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro, who have been recording some of these advertisements on the disappearances and flights of the, of the free Africans. In Portuguese, we have the videos, we have the audio, so we will be including that in some of the episodes so the podcast can also be multilingual and they can show the, the, the diverse set of experiences and how people can interact with the data and what is behind the data. And if you are interested, for instance, in, one of, in, in a couple of the stories that we are planning to, to tell, I can tell you uh, more about one story that I'm particularly working on. That is the story of Joaquina. Joaquina was an African from the Congo nation who forcefully arrived at the coast of Brazil um, near the, the state of Espiritu Santo in 1835 on December 17th in December, on December 17th 1835 in the vessel uh, called Orion and the ship was transported to Rio where it was condemned in 1836 by the Anglo-Brazilian Mixed Commission 
all the cohort of the 245 Africans that were embarked in Luanda, in Angola, and had been illegally trafficked to Brazil, um, were, um, were called as free Africans, of course, were, and they were assigned to different private, public, and religious uh, employers who were known as concessioners. And among them, it was Joaquina. Joaquina was a child when she arrived in Brazil, and she was assigned to Francisca Justiniana de Serpa Pereira. And we found in the data set of the, the disappearances and flights, we found that Joaquina, in the span of seven years, between 1840 and 1847, she ran away five different times from the house of um, her concessioner. And we also have the original advertisement. So we, we have a sense of how um, her employer was describing her appearance and like the, the clothes that she was wearing and also what she was doing. She, sometimes she was carrying a basket of candies to sell. Some other times she was going to sell bread. Some other times she was doing some errands. So she was really a child and she ran away from the house of her employer five years after arriving to, to Brazil. And, and not, not only that, but we also have uh, data from her employer, Sir Papereira, her travels to Porto Alegre, um, demands for pension from her deceased husband, information about uh, her son, and of course, Joaquina's emancipation letters and petitions that are also recorded. So it's a very compelling story. And with all the data that, that Daryl Williams has been collecting for more, than, for more than 10 years, we are now able to reconstruct, in a sense, the life of, uh, or many life experiences of Joaquina um, in Rio and her movement across the city. So I have already put together some story maps that show the different like locations where she ran away and where she was then found and where she arrived. So one episode will be, will be on her. And we think that that is a way of showing how we can uh, see behind the data and how we can connect these different pieces and make the stories of these Africans visible and be heard and, and relevant, right? Yeah, well, I think being visible, being heard, and being relevant, those are three critically important things when it comes to history and preservation and memory. Um, and why don't we take a quick break here? When we come back, talk a little bit about when people can look for the podcast, what it's going to be called, all that good stuff, um, and where they can find you and what you're working on next. And we'll do that right here on PreserveCast. Hey, it's Nick here. And I want to remind you briefly that your support is what makes this podcast possible. To keep hearing important stories like this one, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow along on social media at PreserveCast. You can also continue supporting the podcast with a donation at PreserveCast.org. PreserveCast is sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization that believes we all succeed when we all know more about our past.
This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Uh, we're thrilled today to be continuing the conversation with Marisol Fila, who is a PhD candidate in Spanish and Portuguese in Romance Languages and Literatures at the University of Michigan. We've been talking uh, before the break all about her work in sort of piercing the data and pulling out the humanity and, and talking about, we talked heard about um, uh, a slave girl, Joaquina, um, and um, her path to emancipation and freedom and sort of pulling that story out of the, the cold data and turning it into something that really brings out the humanity of that, of that individual. Um, and so uh, obviously that's a, that's a fantastic story, sort of one of these stories that you're hoping to elevate. Um, when will the podcast be available? What's the name it's going to be under? Um, if people want to download it, where are they going to be able to find it? Give us all those good details, as, at least as many as you have. Absolutely. Well, I am sure that the, um, the podcast will be available at enslave.org. So um, we are planning on having it there. And we don't know the name yet. It is a, a project that it's a starting. but we are sure that in the next few months we will be able to to launch um, a couple of episodes that will be showcasing some of the stories um, of the free Africans of Brazil, but also some stories that are already in the in the enslaved.org platform under the biographies. So we will be translating these written stories also into into podcasts. Um, so it will be there, and of course the platform is growing and more data sets will be will be added so we will keep working on on new episodes and and more ways of telling the the stories of all of these different Africans and for now um I think that it's great if uh if people who are listening and it's interested in knowing more can check out the the, the website, the enslaved.org website, also the Journal of Slavery and Data Preservation. And of course, follow uh, Matrix and Daryl Williams or even me on social media. Recently, we have been um, posting a series of tweets that showcase this videos that I was telling you about from Brazilian students who are recording the different newspaper advertisements on the on the flights and disappearances of the free Africans. They are translated into into English and captioned in, in Portuguese for accessibility. And we have it I think it's a great way of connecting also multiple stories and historical periods, right? The the importance of the history, not only like here in the U.S., but also in Brazil. I mean, in the whole uh, in the whole world. So, if people you 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 mentioned you're on social media, if people want to follow you, want to find out more about you, um, where can they um, catch you on social media? How do they get you? On Twitter, I am under uh, Marisolfi, like my name and the uh, two first initials of my last name, F I. Uh, I'm not a super active Twitter user, but I will start doing that. And I, I you can also follow Daryl uh, at Daryl Williams or Matrix at Matrix underscore MSU, uh, and there you will catch up with the with the news and updates from Slave.org and all the work that we are doing on this new project and podcasts. 
And uh, what's next for you? I suppose as a PhD candidate, that's probably a pretty obvious answer, um, which is um, get the PhD. Um, how far off is that? And when when are you? Uh, what when will you be publishing and all that good stuff? I am in my sixth year now, so I hope to be finishing this next year. Um, and I am. As I told you, I'm also adding some public facing component to my dissertation. So I will be, I am planning on also um, making available some visualizations on the work that I am doing. And also <laughs> recently I have came with the, with the project of adding a series of podcasts uh, that will translate what I'm more or less writing in my chapters about uh, these different articulations of blackness in the in these three cities of Lisbon, Sao Paulo, and Buenos Aires, but um, through <laughs> this new medium um, of bringing it uh, something more accessible. We 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 won't we won't disagree here on PreserveCast with. Uh the the value of podcasts we're we're definitely definitely believers of that and i think this is uh, we're over 160 episodes at this point so we're uh, you know, we're doing we're doing a lot there so um let me ask you probably the most difficult question of anybody who comes on here particularly people who love history but what is your favorite historic site or place that's a yeah <laughs> it is a very tough question and and if I start thinking, I can come up with so many, but I think since I am from from Argentina, one place that I that it's one of my favorites, all the southern part of of the city, which is the neighborhood of San Telmo, and in particular there is um, the Parque Lesama, which is like a very big and well-known park that in the 18th century, it was a slave market. And many people don't know about that. It used to be a, a slave market. And below the, the Parque Lesama and many residences in the San Telmo neighborhood, there are several tunnels that were used to transport slave slaves um, across the southern part of the city. They were arriving to the port and then they were transported to uh, Parque Lesama, among other slave markets. And what is very interesting is that nowadays the Parque Lesama also works as a place of reunion for 21st century Afro-Argentine groups, uh, where they play candombe, they they um, they play the drums and they celebrate, right? They, their existence in the city and the, that they are part of, of Argentina. So it has been reappropriated in, in a sense by these different groups, same as many parts of the San Telmo area and the San Telmo neighborhood. So it's a very rich um, historical place, This all of this part of the city, the, the southern part of the city, which is... Um, many times not very well known by the by most of the Argentinian society uh, because of, as I was telling you in the beginning, this um, national narrative, this myth of um, this myth that the Argentinians only descend from the European migrants who arrived by the end of 19th century as if nothing would have happened before. 
Interesting. Well, and I, it's a fantastic answer, and I think it's a good place to kind of um, end the conversation because it comes back to this whole idea of layers of history, right? And um, I think it's your job as a historian is to dig through those layers, and that's what Enslaved.org is doing, and that's what you did as an individual with your family, and that's your favorite historic place. So um, what, a, what a great place to end the conversation, and thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, and we're looking forward to hearing from you on the podcast soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.